Hello everyone, I'm Pastor Rick Hawkins of Quest Church in Norman, Oklahoma. I want to thank you all for joining us today. This podcast is going to be informative, insightful, and inspirational for your life. Listen every week because we'll have a special word just for you. Matthew 14, we'll begin in verse number 22. I admit this is a very familiar story in the Gospels, uh, but my prayer today is that you would receive fresh revelation from the Holy Spirit. Verse number 22, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending the people home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Listen to these two words. Night fell while he was there alone. Verse 24. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him, Jesus, walking on the water, they were terrified. And in fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, or immediately, Jesus spoke to them. Do not be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Oh my goodness, to hear the Lord say, I am here. Then Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you. Walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately, immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why do you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. The wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are The Son of God, they exclaimed. We'll take our text from verse number 25 and 26. About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. And in fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. We're going to talk this morning on the subject, the ghost in the darkness. The ghost in the darkness. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you this morning. We give you praise, glory, and honor as we have all day. We feel you in the room. We thank you that your presence has saturated this atmosphere. And God, we ask that the anointing we feel go to work right now. God, anoint my lips to speak your word and not my ideas. God, anoint my lips to proclaim the word that beats back the devil and not some intellectual concept. God, help me to speak the dynamic Word of God that makes change, that's full of creation, that's full of revelation. 
and not some kind of motivation. God, I pray that you encourage our hearts today, that you touch somebody's life, that you save somebody's soul, that you bring healing to somebody's body. Whatever it is, we just say, have your way. Do what you do in this building. And in everything, we'll glorify you. We'll give you praise because you deserve it. You're the one that does the work. So we yield to your work now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you do me a favor and put your hands together one more time and give God a praise? You may be seated. When I was a kid, there was nothing I was more scared of than the dark. I hated the dark. I always wanted a light on. My, to this day, if you come to my house, if I walk in the door after work, typically all the lights are off. For what reason, I still have yet to figure out. There's people in the house. There's a lot of people in the house. I have a big family. But the lights are off. I never figured that out. But when I walk in, almost a daily routine. Can we get some lights on in the house, please? But when I was a kid... There was nothing I was more afraid of than the dark. I just wanted a flicker of light. So if my mom and dad didn't want to leave the light on when I was going to sleep, which they rarely did, I'd say, well, at least crack the doors and put the hall light on so at least there's a, there's a, a flicker of light. I was that guy that thought the blanket was the ultimate repellent of any evil that would want to come in my room. I believed in the power of the blanket. If I could have that blanket all the way up to my neck, didn't matter if I was sweating and ruining the sheets, if I could, I, a foot couldn't be hanging out, a toe, nothing, because that was access. That was access. So what I needed was I needed a little bit of light, and I needed my blanket. Ironically, I don't even sleep with a blanket today. But when I was young, I was scared of the dark. There's something in a person naturally, and I think this is true, it's weird that it is, that we have this innate fear of darkness, uh, because that's how we were birthed. When we were in our mother's womb, you have to only assume that it was darkness there. And when we came into the world, we were shocked with light. And so it's weird to think, or ironic, or paradoxical to think, that the natural inclination of a person is to be fearful of the dark. It's understandable that we would be because most dark situations we naturally can't see in or see through. Faith is the evidence of things and the substance not seen. Not seen. So it's interesting to me that God predicates our faith on things we cannot see. He predicates our faith in things we cannot see. I have to confess to you, this is not the deepest confession, that we live in dark times. If you don't think we live in dark times, then you might be a little bit ignorant. 
or you're just in complete denial. But I don't know about you, but when I turn on the TV, I open my phone, I get on social media, it don't matter if it's the news or it's my friend's feed, something crazy is happening in the world around us. And it's not like it's one thing. Not like it's one thing. It's everything. I told my wife the other day, everybody is crazy. Nobody is in their right. Everybody's crazy. I think we're the only six people on earth that are normal. Everybody's crazy. And as a result, everywhere we turn, there's some kind of negative tone to the conversations that we have. I enjoy the conversations in the back on Sunday mornings because they're usually about football and they're a lot of fun. But even this morning, it was negative. Dark times. In all seriousness, though, we live in dark times. Everybody's wondering what's next. Everybody's living on the edge of what could happen, not tomorrow, but later this afternoon. Because it's moment by moment we're being shocked with some kind of craziness. It's, maybe it be political, maybe it be global, maybe it be personal, maybe it be local. We are dealing with a mess, y'all. And what happens in these times is it accentuates what's happening in our own lives. It accentuates it. It presents new challenges that invite themselves. We didn't invite them, but they invite themselves into the daily actions, the daily progression of our own lives. And then we start to, we get deep into this thing, and as we're deep into this thing we call life, we ask the question, how did I get right here? How did I get right here? It was smooth sailing for most of this journey, and all of a sudden, something showed up. And that's how life is right now. I don't think there's a person exempt from what I just described. If you are exempt from that, I need to see a hand because I want to take what you're taking. I want to live where you're living. I want to eat what you're eating. But when I think about it, what I'm looking for is just that door cracked and that hall light on. Because if I can just get an image of light, I'll know everything's going to be all right. Let me encourage you in this. God is in control. He knows what's going on. He ain't surprised by it. It didn't shock him. He knew it all along. Everything is going to be all right. No matter how it pans out, all things work for the good of those that love God and are the called according to his purpose. You are going to be all right. Your family is going to be all right. Your job is going to be all right. Everything is going to be all right. Everything is going to be all right. So let's look at this 
story we read this morning. We're all familiar with it. What had happened here, the reason Jesus tells them in the beginning of uh, our text this morning, immediately Jesus told them to get into the boat and go to the other side is because they had just completed feeding the 5,000. You know the story. They had found Jesus in the wilderness. They all came out there. There was 5,000 people, not including women and children. And he taught them and he taught them. And toward the end, his disciples were concerned because they were so far from home. And he knew they were hungry and needed to be fed. And Jesus said, what do you have? What do you have? What do you have? We're not sending them anywhere. We are going to feed them because we serve. We're servants. That's our job. So we're going to find those in need, and we may not have much, but we're going to trust the Lord to multiply what we have to feed those in need. So they bring him five uh, fish and two loaves, right? And, and, or maybe it was five loaves and two fish. I didn't read the story this morning, so forgive me. And so they bring it to him, and regardless, it wasn't enough, and he multiplied it. Everybody ate, and there was plenty left over. And when they were done, Jesus tells them right away, You get in the boat, I'll take care of the rest. Get in the boat, go to the other side. The Bible says he insisted. The King James Version says he constrained them, which means they didn't want to do what he said. They were not interested in leaving Jesus with 5,000 people, not including women and children. They were the closest people to him, and he still told them, you get in the boat and go to the other side. They also knew that the night was approaching, and they were, it had to have been occurring to them, how is he going to meet us on the other side? How is he going to get there? How are we going to be there in front? Is there something waiting for us there? What's going to happen with these people and him? We should be the ones dismissing these people, not Jesus. Jesus just did a miracle. It's our job to dismiss the people. But Jesus, being the greatest of all servants and the shepherd, the very good shepherd, wanted to deal with his sheep by himself. And he told his disciples to get in the boat and go to the other side. And the Bible says in verse number 23, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Jesus got alone to pray. Now I want to pause for a minute and say that that was a custom of Jesus to get alone and pray. There is a value and a necessity in your solitude with the Lord. There is a value and a necessity to your solitude with the Lord. You can't get a personal relationship with the Lord up in this church among a bunch of people. You can experience him. There's things you can only encounter and experience and receive in the house of the Lord. But for you to develop a personal relationship with Jesus, you need to spend some time with him. That's some one-on-one time. That's the great thing about God is he's God all by himself. And he can be God all by himself just for you. And he wants to do it just with you. That's why he's an omnipresent God. He can be all places at all times. 
The devil can't do that. There's times when you'll be able to get alone with God. It's just you and it's just him. And the devil don't know the secrets that God's downloading into your spirit. Because when he comes against you, what he don't know is that God gave you just the words you needed when you were alone with him in your prayer closet to be able to stand up against the wiles of the devil. Don't get it twisted. The devil wants to fire some darts at you. The devil wants to come against you. The devil wants to put your kids in prison. The devil wants to lock you up. The devil wants to constrain you. And what you need is an alone time with God so that you know just how to beat that devil when he shows up. Because when you're alone with God, it's no problem when you're alone with the devil. I seem to remember Jesus, after he was baptized, walked out into the wilderness by himself to fast and to pray. And after the time was over, the devil showed up, and it was a one-on-one battle. And that devil did everything he could in Jesus' weakness to get him to stumble. But what he did not know is that Jesus had a word that could push that devil back. That word doesn't come just from platforms and pulpits. That word comes from prayer closets and times when we get on our knees and spend time with him. The time that we dig into the word of God and ask him, what sayest thou unto me in my life? We've moved into a generation of expedience and convenience. And because of it, we don't take the time to spend with God on our own. We want somebody else to do the work because we got AI and Google. And all we have to do is search on the search bar. And in a moment, we can receive years and years of study and discovery. And so we don't want to put the work in ourselves. That's what we're used to. So we expect God to do the same thing for us. It's time for a generation to get a conviction and a fire up in their belly that says, I'm special to God. He sent me here on purpose, and I need to get alone with him. He went up on the hill by himself to pray. At no time when you're reading the story of the life of Jesus should you ever take anything he does or he says for granted. Don't take the environments he puts himself in for granted. Don't take the way he does a thing for granted. He did it all on purpose and in divine accordance with the plan of God because he was setting the table and showing us a model for us to walk and live after. So if we watch the way he did it and we do it that way, then chances are we're going to have a good result. He went up on the hill by himself to pray. And while Jesus is enjoying his time of refreshing, and while Jesus is catching his breath, and while Jesus is being made whole in prayer, and while Jesus is resting, the Bible says in verse number 24, meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble. Meanwhile. While Jesus was alone, while Jesus was getting what he needed, meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble. We're going to take three points this morning and walk our way through them. The ghost in the darkness. The ghost in the darkness. Point number one is going to be dealing with delays. Dealing with delays. Point number two is going to be defining darkness. 
defining darkness. And point number three is going to be discerning divinity. Discerning divinity. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble. I want to paint a clear picture for you. When we read the story, we hear about the Sea of Galilee. I don't know about you, but when I hear sea, I think huge. Right? The truth is, this is only a lake. If you went to Israel, I've never been. But if you went there and you stood on the shore, you could look over and you could see the other side. Right? You could look over and you could see the other side. So what Jesus asked them to do by getting in the boat and going to the other side wasn't an arduous task. It was something they had done frequently. It was something they were used to. They were headed to Capernaum or Gennesaret, which was where they frequented. Some say Jesus' hometown had become Capernaum at that time. His home church was in Capernaum. So it makes sense that they would be going over to the other side. They were trying to get home. They were in between miracles. They just experienced the 5,000, not including women and children, being fed. And they were about to face multiple miracles because people were going to meet them on shore. And all they wanted to do was touch the garment of Jesus to be healed. And the Bible says many were healed there. So they're in between miracles. There's not a crowd here. It's just the disciples in a boat going to the other side. And it shouldn't be that hard. And the Bible says they were far away from land, which means they were probably halfway there. And it says that they were tossed by waves and they had a wind that was contrary to them. If the wind was contrary to them, then we can deduce that he was not sailing. They must have been rowing. So they're toiling in this boat halfway across a lake in the middle of the night just trying to get to the other side. And they're being tossed and they're being contradicted. When it says they were tossed, it literally means there was a testing that came to them. It means they were being questioned through the form of torture. This is what it means in the Greek. It means they were being distressed. They were being distressed. And at the same time, the very thing that should be taking them to the other side was contradicting them. There was a contrary wind. There was a contrary wind, contradiction. Learn this through the lineage of ministry from one man of God to the next. And now I, I can't help but say it. Contradiction. Diction is words. Contra is against. So contradiction is words that are formed against you. And it was the wind, the wind or the breath of the atmosphere. You cannot speak without breath coming out of your lungs. They're facing a contrary. What do you do when the very people that should be for you are speaking against you? 
What do you do when the ones that were on your team are all of a sudden saying things that discredit the team or make the team seem smaller? Or make the team seem subject or, 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 or vulnerable to, to some kind of discrepancy or some kind of vileness? What do you do when the one that's supposed to be patting you on the back really has another knife behind their back so when you turn around they can get you with it? What do you do when you're facing those kind of storms? And so they're being tortured or distressed. I don't know about you, but I've been through some distressing, torturous times in my life. And I always, when I get to those moments, wonder, what did I do to get myself in this moment? What did I say? How did I mess this up this bad? I feel like I'm doing the right thing. I feel like I'm being obedient. I know what he said. Go to the other side. And it shouldn't have taken me this long to get to the other side. And I'm not even halfway there yet. What do you do when you're in life and you're walking through life and all of a sudden you realize that you're 40-something years old, 50-something years old, 60-something years old, and there was an expectation about where you were supposed to be at that time, and you look at it and you say, I still got so far to go. What happened? I thought I would have been there by now. This is a problem with young people. Young people get excited and energetic about what God has done for them or about the ideas that God downloads to them. And they expect it to mature in a very expedient fashion. They expect that tomorrow, like David, if David was anointed king in this generation, he would think he's supposed to wear the crown tomorrow. What do you do when you feel like you should already be there? But you ain't there yet. Man, that's troubling. I hate the feeling of knowing I should be done with this and I'm not even halfway. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble. The problem is that we have with this is that we want to say the devil did it. The devil did it. Well, one of his minions, they mess with me. I rebuke the devil in Jesus' name. Ain't nothing wrong with rebuking the devil. I love rebuking the devil. The word rebuke literally means to embarrass him. I love embarrassing the devil when God does something in my life. I love to share the testimonies of what God has done for me because it embarrasses the devil. I love rebuking him. The problem with this situation is that Jesus sent them there. Mm. What do you do when Jesus says, get in a boat and go to the other side? He was so adamant about it that he had to constrain them to do it. When we talked about giving today, we talked about Paul admonishing us not to give under compulsion. But in this instance, we see Jesus compelling his disciples to get in the boat and go to the other side. And you mean to tell me that Jesus didn't know what they were rowing into? What do you do when Jesus sent you in the middle of it? I know what we can say. If God be for us. Who can be against us? 
But what if he sent us? There's a paradox in this text. Divine delays or dealing with delays. There's a paradox here. What do you do when you should have been there by now? Paradox is this, that the word immediately is mentioned four times in regards to this story. It starts with immediately. Immediately he told him get in the boat, right? Then later, immediately. Then later, no, they, they cry ghost, and immediately Jesus says, it's me. Calm down. Then a few minutes later, immediately Jesus reaches down and grabs Peter's hand. If you read this account in the book of John chapter 6, you'll see that when they get back in the boat, immediately they're on the other side. So the paradox is that God is delaying them, yet he's doing an immediate work. It seems that God likes to do suddenlies. It seems like he likes to do it immediately. It seems that when we come to this altar and we lay hands on somebody, that immediately they're made whole. That's the miracle of God. But for that miracle to happen, there has to be a delay or a process that got that person to that altar. What do you do when you feel like you should have been there already and you're facing a storm? Why the delay? Why? Why? Because everything Jesus does operates according to the divine purpose of God and not according to personal desire. I'm going to say it again. Everything God does operates according to the divine purpose of God and not according to personal desire. A delay does not mean denial. Simply said, if he said to go to the other side, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get to the other side. For so, For that business owner that's been facing some delays in the negotiations let me encourage you you're going to get to the other side just keep rowing for that mama that that's praying for their child that's sick in the hospital and you're wondering when the healing is going to show up don't lose heart mama because delay does not mean denial you're going to get to the other side for that person that's been praying for their friend that's strung out on drugs and they keep trying to get it right but they keep falling by the wayside don't give up on them keep praying keep rowing because just because there's a storm facing you doesn't mean you're not going to get to the other side he said it that settles it his ways are not our ways His thoughts are not our thoughts. Stop trying to box God into the way you think about him. Most times, delays we encounter in life are divinely orchestrated. Many other plans in the man's heart, but the Lord's purpose prevails. Delayed in the dark. And night fell. It was 3 o'clock in the morning. Darkness. 
Darkness is disorienting. There was a time while I worked at Place for Life that I walked through that sanctuary so many times that the door I would come in was on the other side of the sanctuary from where the light switch was. All the way on the other side. But it was convenient for me to park on this side, so that's where I parked. And I wasn't worried about it because I knew that room. So it didn't matter how dark it got in that room, I could navigate that darkness because I had come a, become accustomed to it. The reason darkness can become disorienting is because we can become so familiar with the darkness we live in that we feel like everything's all right because we're able to navigate through it. But I'll never forget the day. Quite embarrassing. I walked in the door of it pitch black in that room. There's no windows in the sanctuary of Place for Life. It's big. So I walk in. I start walking. I know where the chairs are. I know where the aisles are. I know where the light switch is. I know how to do this. I've done it a million times. And so my pace isn't like this. My pace is like this, in the pitch black. But what I didn't know was that some joker decided to stack up all the chairs and put them in the middle of the aisle. And so, without hesitation, I walked smack into that pile of chairs, hit the ground, the chairs hit the ground. I busted my tail real bad. And now I'm in the dark, in a mess, and have no idea where I am <laughs> or how I'm going to get out of it. And I had to figure it out. There was no one there. This is before you had a flashlight on your cell phone. Needless to say, I fell down quite a few more times in that little trip. Eventually, I got there. But the darkness is disorienting. So it's not an, enough that they were just delayed. They were delayed in the dark. The Bible says it was the fourth watch of the night or it was 3 o'clock in the morning. It was the darkest part of night when they were going through this. And it had to be frustrating because, like I said, they should have been to the other side already. Now they're in the pitch black dark. It's storming outside. The waves are on them. It's not like they had lights and flashlights and all that. They probably had lanterns and whatever else they had during that time. But I would assume the water had something to do with that stuff going out. So they're in the pitch black. They probably didn't know what direction they were headed. Because they were being tortured and it's in the middle of the dark. And while everybody else is sleeping, they're stuck toiling. You ever been there? Everybody else is sleeping and you tossing and turning. If you're honest, sometimes you feel you've been obedient, but Jesus feels so far from where you are. You know you did what he said, but it's hard to hear his voice in the midst of the storm. We can't forget a key point. Jesus went up on a hill to pray. I have to believe that when he went to this elevated location, 
knowing where he sent his disciples, that he could see them. And he was watching. I think the Bible says somewhere, watch and pray. And he went up on this hill to pray. It doesn't say what he prayed for. It just says he was praying. But what it does say is that he sent them there. And he's watching them. No matter how dark it gets in your life, no matter how far Jesus feels from where you are, no matter how silent you think God is, his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. He watches me when I'm home alone. He watches me with my hands raised on the front row. He watches me when I'm working. He watches me when I'm driving. He watches me when I'm in trouble. He watches me when I'm sinning. He watches me when I'm failing. He watches me when I'm winning. He watches me when I'm beating that devil. He watches me when my kids are acting crazy. He watches me when I'm rowing this boat and I should be to the other side, but the wind is blowing and the words are against me. He's watching me. The truth is, God does his greatest works in the middle of the night. God does his great works in darkness. God, if you don't believe me, let's just flip back to the beginning of the book. I believe creation started, and it says, and darkness covered, and there was a ghost, and the spirit hovered. He started in, and he was so intentional. So he started in dark, but he made sure that the first thing he injected in this thing was some light. Some of the greatest things God will ever do in your life is going to come out of the night season of your life. You want to say, no, I remember that when that check showed up in my mailbox. I remember when he gave me that breakthrough. I remember when my child was healed. I remember when the cancer disappeared. I remember when this and that happened and all the victories. No, that's the result of what God did during the dark season. I can tell somebody don't believe me in here. Why would Eve be created in the darkness or at night? What, what do you mean, Pastor Josh? Well, he put Adam to sleep. And then he created Eve. What about Abraham? He called Abraham and made a covenant with Abraham in the dark. How do you know that, Pastor Josh? Because he said, look, come out of your tent and look at the stars in the sky. And he made covenant with him. Why would Jacob lay down on a pillow and fall asleep and God would visit him at Bethel with angels ascending and descending because God showed up at night for him. God does his greatest work in darkness. In darkness. In darkness. What about Moses in Exodus chapter 20 when it says that Moses approached, listen to the language of the Bible, Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. What about blind Bartimaeus or the blind man that was born to give glory to God? Wait a minute. They were healed in the daytime. You're right. What do you do when it's daytime for everybody else? But for you, it's dark time. 
You ever been there? It might be bright for you. You might be paying your rent. But I can't make rent. You might got a full bank account, but I ain't got that. You might be healthy and fit, but I'm out of shape and the health issues are coming on. Your kids might be living right, but mine are acting a fool. How many of you have been there where it's dark for you? Seem light for everybody else, but you're walking in a dark season. God does his greatest miracles. He heals that blindness. He heals the blind man that approaches. And they ask, who sinned that this man was born in darkness? No one sinned. It was for the glory of God. In other words, God orchestrated this man to be born blind. So in this moment, immediately, he could receive his sight. It was a process to build it up because glory is an interesting subject. Glory exists. God is the only one that has or can receive or, or all glory manifests from God. Any glory we receive is a reflection of that glory that he shines on us. But for us to get a revelation of what that glory is, there has to be some kind of contrast to what that glory is in order for that glory to be shown. So sometimes you have to walk through the mess that you're walking through just so that he can get glory on the other side. Because if it wasn't so messy, you could clean it up yourself. If you cleaned it up yourself, what do you need God for? God likes to remind us that he is God and he is God all by himself and he is our God and we are his people. He's the one that gets the glory. He's the one that gets the praise. He's the one that creates the breakthrough. He's the one that does it. If you don't believe me, if God, God, you know, you know, God is interesting because it was, I think it was at midnight that Paul and Silas were locked up in a prison and they let go of a praise and the Spirit of God came in there and didn't just loose them, but loosed every prisoner up in that prison. I need somebody to give some praise unto the Lord for the dark season you're walking through. How do you know that your moment ain't right around the corner? How do you know that it's not your praise that might release those shackles up off your life? It's time for the people of God to stop coming in here and, and, and going through the motions in praise service and worship service. It's time for the people of God to stop putting on a show. We ain't coming here to put on a show. We came in here to worship the only true and living God. But everything's good in my life, Pastor Josh. I'm living just fine. I'm living in the daytime. I don't need to lift up a praise like that. That's why we go to church, y'all. Because you don't know who's sitting on your row that needs that praise to be manifest out your mouth so that they can be set free. I'm going to give you 20 seconds to really give God praise and stop patty-caking God. greatest work in the dark seasons why else would when Jesus is on the cross and at noonday when the sun is supposed to be straight up ahead a veil of darkness just falls over the earth why because God was getting ready to do a great work up in the earth he 
needed that darkness to fall. He needed the darkness of the grave. Why? So we could experience the glory of his resurrection. That's why the Bible says weeping may endure for a night. Weeping may endure for a night. Weeping may endure for a night. But joy comes in the morning. It's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. It's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. It's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. We can't even know that joy unless we know the weeping hours. We can't even know that joy until we've endured a little bit of crying, a little bit of struggle. I might be rowing in this boat. I should be at the other side by now, but I know he's watching me. God does his greatest work in night season. Here's a good Pastor Rick quote for you. The dark rooms of destiny are necessary to properly develop the picture of your life. The dark rooms of destiny are necessary to properly develop the picture of your life. You can be seated. Let's get to the end of this. I think we need to wrap it up. The ghost in the darkness. The ghost dealing with delays, defining darkness. Don't give it the wrong definition. Don't curse the moments God walks you through. Trust him in it all. Keep rowing the boat. Trust him. And in the middle of the night, when all is going crazy, Jesus starts walking on what's messing with them. Because we never can forget that the devil is up under our feet. And so Jesus is walking on what's messing with them. And he's catching up. And an interesting thing happens. They thought it was a ghost. They've been following him, experiencing miracles with him, eating dinner, breakfast, lunch with him, traveling from city to city with him. And when he showed up, they didn't recognize him. They said, it's a ghost. In other words, is this even a reality? Is this even real? They had fear where they should have faith. I want to encourage the people of God in this. Don't be so locked into the box you've put God in that when he shows up in your dark season, you don't recognize him. Too often. We put God in our religious boxes. And I say religious on purpose because religious is routine. Religious is law. Religious is what you define. I'm not talking about true religion, which is feeding orphans and widows and those in prison. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a rigid mentality and outlook 
that boxes God in and says, God can't do it like that. God is God by himself. You don't get to play God. I don't get to play God. Which means I can't send people to hell. I can't send them to heaven. That's his job. My faith is what he requires of me. But the power behind the faith is always his. So it doesn't matter how much I profess, stand, or do. His ways are not my ways. He is still God, and he does it how he wants it. And sometimes that creates questions. And so we wonder, is it a ghost? But the ghost in the darkness was no ghost at all. It was Jesus. Watch what Paul does. Peter. It's Peter, not Paul. Watch what Peter does. Jesus immediately, immediately sensed their fear. He gave them no questions. They said, ghost, immediately he said, no, it's me. You know my voice. No, it's me. It's me. And Peter says, if it's you, let me come to you. Watch this. Peter wasn't asking to walk on the water. He was asking to come to Jesus. And in his coming to Jesus, he lived out a miracle. When we get our eyes on him and we walk according to what he speaks, come, come. We can walk on the very things that have been torturing us and distressing us. But be careful because when you're walking toward Jesus, sometimes your paradigm can become fixed on the storm and you'll begin to sink. But thank God he's always there. And all you got to do is call him. Save me. And immediately, Jesus lifted him up. It was a reminder to Peter, you didn't do this. You didn't do this. Sometimes the greatest miracles in our life are in the midst of being performed, and then all hell breaks loose again. We wonder why, and it's just a reminder from the Lord, I got you. You're not doing this. I'm doing this. Make sure I get the glory for it. Interesting thing about Peter starting to sink is really all he had to do was look back and see how far he'd come, and it probably would have given him strength to go the rest of the way. And here's the greatest part. They still had to walk back to the boat. And when the ghost in the darkness showed up and he got in the boat, immediately there was peace and immediately they were at the other side. This morning, all the preaching, all the words, 
to encourage somebody in this room that's facing some dark seasons. You're in the midst of some deep delays. You're tortured with the question of why am I not there already? Why has the situation not turned around yet? Why has the breakthrough tarried? Why won't it come? Just keep rowing. Have faith. Don't doubt. Believe what he said. You will make it to the other side. And be watchful for when the ghost in the darkness shows up. And get him on your boat. Because when he gets in, he'll take time out of the equation. And you'll reach the other side. Bless the name of Jesus. Bless the name of Jesus. Bless the name of Jesus. Dear God, I want to thank you for every moment where I was confused. I want to thank you not just for the good times. I want to thank you for when you you were with me when I was sick and I didn't think I was going to recover. And I was in that bed alone and you were right there with me. I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you not for the healing. That was a result of my time with you. I needed that time with you. God, I want to thank you for the dark, disorienting seasons that I walked through when I kept falling down and skinning my knee and I kept getting back up and falling down and I didn't know where I was headed but you were right there with me. I want to thank you for being with me every step of the way. I thank you that the plans that the plans I have for myself did not make it to pass but your purpose is what prevailed in my life because I can't live without the divine orchestration of your hand at work within me. God, I thank you for it right now. And I pray for your people right now. Somebody in this room is going through a dark time. Somebody's in this room is confused. Somebody is reaching for Jesus. Somebody came in here confused. You didn't know what tomorrow is going to look like. You don't know if you're going to pay your bills on time. You didn't know if your child is going to be healed. You don't know if your children are going to come to the Lord. You don't know if your friend is ever going to get in his right mind. And you've been asking the Lord, do something. Touch my family. Touch my finances. Touch my home touch my job touch my boss and I came by to tell you there's a ghost gonna show up in your darkness be careful that you see him and he's Jesus